Uh, welcome to this week's version of the Pursuing Justice podcast. Uh, this is Arthur Schwartz. I am the host of this podcast and a candidate for city council in uh, District 3 in Manhattan. And my guest today is Maria Ordonez, who is a city council candidate running in District 7, right? Am I right? Yes. Yeah, it's District 7. And uh, I have to say, before she even tells us who she is, Maria is one of the most amazing people I've ever met um, and uh, has four times the energy that I have. And what I, what I one of the most amazing things to me is that she's running for city council and she's a senior at Columbia College, at, which is part of Columbia University. Uh, I was a senior there almost 50 years ago. Uh, and um, here we are doing the same thing. So I think it's great. So Maria, tell, introduce yourself. How would, how would you tell people like you're, you, you know, you and I both share this experience. They say, you have two minutes, explain your candidacy. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I, you know, I wrote down something in a piece of paper and that's the same thing I say all the time. Um, but I like starting out by saying, hi everyone. My name is Maria Ardonias and I'm running for city council in district seven. Um, you know, I'm a lifelong resident of West Harlem where I was born and raised specifically in 3333 Broadway, which is a very, uh, you know, it's like a landmark in district seven. It's the largest building in district seven. And, um, you know, it means a lot to people in the district and it means a lot to me as a person as an organizer and as a candidate for city council because that's where I've, I started organizing for tenants rights. That's where I organized um, uh, with other folks and that's where I, I seen the changes to this community happen. And, you know, with housing, uh, gentrification, we, we've seen everything in, in this district. And you can see a lot of the issues that people in district center are facing from that, that one building. Um, but beyond that, you know, I've worked um, and, and organized with you, Arthur, for Bernie Sanders. We did a lot of organizing work uh, across our neighborhoods for um, these issues that really matter to people like Medicare for all, Green New Deal, tuition college, you know, issues that we are fighting for now at a local level. And I always say that I believe that we can make change through movements. And that is a movement we saw through Bernie Sanders. That's a movement we saw uh, now with Black Lives Matter. You know, I, I was at the front lines with people fighting for, um, you know, racial justice, education justice, and, you know, these issues that, that, that we need really need to fight for at the municipal level. Um, and we're building a movement in every single corner of the district. And we're mobilizing people where they're at. We're talking about the issues that really matter to them. And you know, we're bringing together people to co-govern with them, co-legislate with them and bring their voices to City Hall. And I feel like I went over two minutes, but. <laughs> uh, but I didn't give you the two minute limit. Uh, you, you, you grew up in West Harlem, which, was it called West Harlem when you were a kid? Um, yeah, I mean, we usually just refer to it as like, yeah, we just, we just went with West Harlem. I'm pretty sure, yeah, we just went with West Harlem. Yeah, and, uh, and you have to understand when I was a I was a Columbia student in the 1970s, and nobody went past 125th Street. The furthest north I lived was 122nd Street, 
Claremont Avenue. And um, so I, I, I guess I just called everything Harlem. Uh, so how do you, so where did you go to high school? I went to high school at Columbia Secondary School. So 123rd in Amsterdam. Um, it's also, it's, it's a school connected to Columbia University because students can take classes there from a young age. Um, I, I took classes there since I was in 10th grade. Um, you know, we, we, were at, we were advanced, so it didn't have any more math courses for us. So they said, go to Columbia and take a math course. So I sat there as if I, I were a college student and no one knew I wasn't a college student. And yeah, I, it was, yeah, wonderful so experience. For you to go to, when I was a, when I was, um, so when I went to Columbia, I was a public school grad, I went to Bronx Science. And there weren't a lot of New York City public school kids even then. I'm talking about 1970. I started in 1970. There weren't a lot of New York City public school kids in in Columbia, and there weren't a lot of New York City kids in Columbia, like people who grew up in New York City. What was it like to grow up in West Harlem? And Columbia is always there, right? That's this foreboding institution to the south, and and then to go to college there. What, what was it like to go from being a community person to being a student at this university that was always there um, like, and, and which is a, quite a different world from West Harlem? So, you know, the, I think the interesting thing about Columbia University is that Columbia is um, literally at a, at a mountain, you know? So it looks down at the communities um, around it most notably Harlem. Um, and literally it is also an elite institution. So it is ab above um, the, the people and has power over the working class in uh, the, the districts, uh, the area around it. Um, so I guess, so it was an interesting experience to go from being someone from the community that, you know, just living in, in West Harlem going to Columbia. Um, number one, because you know, you understand the dynamics inside Columbia better as someone from, you know, the district and going in there. It, it's really, you know, we say the students are coming into the community and everything, but yes, that's one, that's one problem that causes gentrification, but the other problem, it's dynamic that people in power have with people in the district. Um, the problem is that Columbia promises scholarships for people in Harlem, promises, you know, affordable housing. They promise Columbia Secondary School a building that was form was formerly a McDonald's, but it's not a McDonald's anymore. You know, it's just all, all um, you know, uh, construction for a new building. And that never happened. Um, so while, while I was in school at Columbia Secondary, I was, I was hoping for that to happen so that everyone who, you know, lived nearby, you would have to travel less, you just go there. Um, we would have more space because on, on, you know, on top of that, Columbia Secondary was in a building that has a charter school and a public elementary school in one building. So we, we had to share a lot of space, we had to share the gym, and that's a huge issue. You know, we need to give public school space for themselves and, you know, charter schools can go elsewhere. Um, so seeing that dynamic from inside, the education is great, but we need to create a bridge. We need to create more connections within the community and the community at Columbia. Um, and that needs to start from the top. You know, the, the people in power don't care enough about the people at, and in, in West Harlem, the people in, Har in, in Harlem at all. Um, they 
rushed up to the community board to make their presentations. I've seen that firsthand. Uh, they, they bring an elected official and this and that, and then they talk about what to do for the community. So that then needs to change, you know, and we need to offer more people an opportunity to go to Colombia because yes, it could change people's lives when they go there. Um, you give more job opportunities, you um, automatically, your, your resume goes up the ranks. Like a resume from CUNY and a resume from Columbia are not the same thing. Um, so giving more people an opportunity from the community around Colombia a chance is huge. And, um, you know, meet people who are gonna stand up to Colombia, who are gonna stand up to those contracts that are not offering affordable housing, who are gonna stand up and make sure that they keep their promises um, that they, they, you know, they, they promised for a while, but nothing has happened. So, so what, what, but do, how did it impact on you? I mean, how did that, somehow you went from being a West Harlem resident and student in a charter school, right? It was a charter school to the Columbia. It was a, it was a charter school. It was a public school. It was a public school. Okay. So you went from a public school to Columbia and and you are who you are now, a senior running for city council, a big Bernie Sanders supporter and activist. So how did you get there from one, how did that impact? How did you, what, what did all of that have to do with each other? I mean, it had to have had an impact on who you are. Yeah, so, um, like, a big psychoanalytical, like, a little. Uh, yeah, I mean, like from, you know, Columbus Secondary School is a public school. Um, uh, you know, being there and seeing the charter school and all of them taking up space from the public school, the elementary school, and then we have to share gyms and it doesn't make sense, you know? Somehow one day, like we had to split classes and one gym took like the left side uh, and the other class took like the right side. It was weird. Uh, and, and it was cold outside and some people had to go, it, it, it was a mess. So that influenced me in being you know, I am very supportive, supportive of public schools and we need to fully fund them. We need to ensure that they have a library. We need to ensure they have a nurse, they have a social worker and we need to make education public. Education needs to, we need to keep education accountable uh, by parents, by students, by the teachers, um, but not, not by private corporate interests. Um, in terms of my uh, education at Columbia, you know, I, you know, really, you, you can see the difference between what, what it is for uh, a more uh, working class persons, one from uh, Harlem and someone who is, you know, well off to go to Columbia. There, there's, there's a huge difference. Um, I, my, my brother is also going to Columbia right now and, and he has to take out loans. So that, that's also a reason why, you know, I supported Bernie. You know, seeing that you know, it's hard for people who can't afford college to go to college. You know, sometimes they have to make a hard decision and end up going to another college that they don't want to go to um, because they can't pay for loans. Um, so we have to make college free. Um, and at the municipal level, we need to start with making CUNY free. At the federal level, we need to make, uh, you know, forgive all stu student loan debt. And we, we, we need to fight to make all public colleges free. Um, and, you know, my education at, at Columbia, I spend a lot of time uh, reading, um, you know, Spanish books. Uh, I, I am a lover of the Spanish language. And again, that's my first language, so I love Spanish. And, uh, you know, I read a lot about, you know, the, the 
you know, philosophers um, from Argentina, Ecuador, um, España, uh, you know, and when, when you look at, uh, you know, non-Eurocentric, uh, uh, you know, works that don't come from solely Europe, but they come from South America, they come from these uh, countries of, uh, that are representative of what, what's happening in our, in our country, are representative of like our, our Hispanic populations, uh, African-American populations. You, you open your mind to new things and, and you start to understand experiences of people. Um, that was me and, you know, um, I, I think that, that that had a huge impact on who I am and you know, also talking to people from different states and everything, you know, Colombia is very diverse. You, you get to talk to people who come from across the country and, you know, hearing their experiences, what, what it means to be, a, you know, a working class person from somewhere else. What, what is working class in another state? Uh, what, what does that mean? And coming to a elite institution like Colombia, um, you know, all, all those things influenced me. And I joined the, the, this movement that Bernie started that, that you were part of since 2016. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wasn't so involved in 2016 because I, I was actually, you know, applying for college then. Um, so it, that was a fun time. And I, was so, I, I, I promised myself that I will make sure to be involved in Bernie's campaign in 2020 if he were to run again. And he did. And I was, I was part of that. Um, I joined because you know, the, the change, you can see that he's creating, the movement that he created, how he mobilized people. Not, not many candidates can do that. Create a movement, a populist movement for, for people where you mobilize people uh, on, on, the, on, on an ideology, on an idea. Um, and it's super powerful. And I think that we can see, transform those movements to the local level. We'd be seeing something powerful because for too long, our politics has been about you come from the democratic establishment, or you have, to, or you come from real estate or from corporate interests, and that's what funds you. Or you know the the powerhouses that that dominate in your district fund you, or you have to be the destined candidate. And I think that's a problem with politics. Changing that dynamic and making it about you know just getting out voters to vote, mobilizing them to get out to vote on a message that resonates to them on a message that, 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 you know, talks about basic things, you know, like Bernie spoke about, housing is so basic, you know, the fact that we still don't have truly affordable, and I, I mean truly affordable for everyone in our districts, that's a problem. The fact that we don't have equity in a healthcare system is also a huge, huge problem. Going back to education, that's, that's a huge problem in, 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 our, in New York City making sure that we have equitable access to quality public education for everyone, get to college, to get a job. Um, so that, that's what I saw from Bernie, those basic things that we're fighting for, they seem so small and you know so insignificant that you might not even think about it, but he brought attention to that and he created a movement around that. And you know, that, that's what brought me to his, to his uh, movement and, and like, you know, living in, in West Harlem, going to school where I had to share a gym, going to college where I, ha I heard from other people. And, you know, um, you know he, he didn't win, but he built something that was long lasting, which I think is very, very inspiring and admirable. So basically Bernie radicalized you. 
Yes, yes, Bernie radicalized me. That is cool. <laughs> that is cool. Yes. I, I, I think that's amazing. And how would you say that's true of a lot of students at Columbia? You know, I, I think that's true, you know, because one of the things we saw when we did canvassing and we did watch parties and phone banks at Columbia was that a lot of students didn't, did not know like that they, they had this, like, you know, they, they could be part of this movement. They usually, they, they, they would believe in like tuition college, you believe in all this, but they wouldn't talk about it. There's something about Bernie that, you know, normalized this, these types of conversations, normalized being able to say this in class, um, where in other cases you, you wouldn't, you know, and all these people that were all over the place in college, like came together, you know, and had it not been for Bernie, we, we wouldn't have met. It's like with my uh, campaign manager, you know, Caroline, I wouldn't have met her had it not been for organizing for Bernie, but we, we met each other and we found the ability we have and what we can do when we organize. And I think that, that was that was beautiful. All right, so you're running for, so you decide to run, why did you decide to run for city council? Yeah, I mean, there's other, so many options. Some other position. Or wait yeah, till so many. Like, and you told me last week yeah, you're actually yeah. taking, you're taking a leave of absence for your last semester. I. It's, so I, I decided to take a leave of absence for, for the full year, actually. Um, it, it, it would have been too much for me. Um, so I'm like 100% doing this. And, and, you know, that's how we managed to like fundraise, you know, max out, uh, you know, build a team, mobilize people. Um, because I'm, I'm always like doing this work and, and making sure I'm putting all my energy into this. Um, but why city council? Uh, I think that, that, that that's a good question. You know, there is a strict leader, assembly, senate. I can't run for Congress, <laughs> I'm 21. Um, but city council, I think is interesting in that, in that it's uh, hyper local. It's connected to the community. Something that you can't do with assembly and Senate. You know, you, you could, but you're going to Albany. You're not always in the district. What I like about city council is that you have a district office. That's your base. That's where you go back and, and you know, being most connected to the community and still being able to legislate, I think is really important. And I think that that's key in the you want to see. Um, we need to start at the local level. We need to make sure that we create those changes in the community. And when I say that, I mean, you know, making sure that we are passing environmental legislation. We're passing legislation for housing, legislation for education. And doing that with the community, having town halls, bringing people into the table, you know, having uh, round tables with, with small businesses, I think it's uh, extremely important. And um, I don't think that's happening right now. I think that a lot of what's happening right now at the municipal level, even though it's so local, it's been, it's been done from top down. And that's a problem. We need to change that. We need to bring people together like Bernie did and work together to create that change. And I, I see city council as a place where, you know, I can make that happen. A place where we can have the dialogue, still be connected to the community and legislate in, in ways that, that, you know, are beneficial for everyone in the district. So you, you are, <clears throat> I'm running against the establishment, right? Um, I mean, being for Bernie means you're against the establishment anyway, right? I, I've had the experience. So I've been a district leader. I, I would, I, have advised many candidates over the years. Oh, you know, 
run for district leader, you know, get your feet wet, learn the local issues, join the community board, um, and, and then run for office, right? And some people listened to me and some didn't. Um, and like even the person whose seat I'm running for, Corey Johnson, Corey was, um, he was on his community board for five or six years. He was chair of the community board when he was running for, for city council. But somehow during the course of that, as a district leader, I supported the wrong candidates all the time, right? I believe in not supporting Obama was a radical thing to do in 2007 when I became his Manhattan coordinator and um, everybody was for Hillary. And I was like the only district leader in all of Manhattan, the only one. No, I think if Bill Perkins was a district leader, maybe Bill. Bill was a state senator, he was for Hillary, uh, for Barack and I was for Barack. And that was it, the whole county, not a single other Democratic Party person in New York County was for like, like in the political establishment. And, uh, and then in, 2000 and, um, in 2014, um, I, I was Zephyr Teachout's treasurer and she ran against Cuomo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I told my county leader, a guy named Keith Wright, who's an assemblyman right near your area, right? And I- Oh, he's on the assemblyman right now. No, no, he was then. And he was the county- yeah, Oh, he, yeah. He was the county leader. And I said, Keith, I just want you to know I'm, I'm supporting Cynthia Nixon. And he goes, I wouldn't have expected less. And, you know, and then in 2016, I, I was Bernie's counsel. And again, I said to Keith, Keith, I just want you to know I'm Bernie's counsel because no elected officials in 2016, none, zero supported Bernie Sanders in New York. Everybody was for Hillary, zero. There wasn't a single elected official in Manhattan, district leader or not, that, that supported, oh, no, 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 maybe, um, maybe one, maybe. Um, Paul Newell in, in, in the mm. Lower East Side. And I'm not even sure that Paul did. So I found myself, so, the, so what, you know, I did, I did stuff like last year, I was counsel to um, uh, uh, Lindsey Boylan, who ran against Jerry Nadler. I was counsel to John Felton Keith, who ran against Espeyat. I was counsel to, uh, you know, Mondier Jones in, in Westchester, who was not the candidate of the establishment Democratic Party. Um, I, I, and so as a result, everybody knows who I am and they will say they respect my earnestness and my principles, but I wouldn't get the support in a million years. It's zero. My opponents, these, my opponent is going to have my main opponent as a supportive. He's going to come out with every elected official. He's going to come out with every Democratic club, except maybe one that I'll know on Tuesday. You know, but I'm running anyway. I assume that is, is your situation similar? Do you find yourself arrayed against the political establishment? Is that happening to you? Yes. Well, you, you know the situation is similar, Arthur. Um, I, I am running against the, the political establishment. Um, I, I'm running against someone who is going to have a bunch of unions, someone who is going to have um, uh, a lot of support elsewhere. But when I look at District 7, I look at how do you exactly win this? You, 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 don't, you don't win it with stickers. You win it by being on the ground and talking to voters. So... My my opponent that my, my opponents are not big names in the district. No one is a big name in the district. Um, but you you can be one if you organize and you bring people together and you spread your message.
message by being on the ground. Um, so that, that, that for me is the key. Um, at the end of the day, anyone can get as many unions, as many groups, uh, but the members of those groups, well, at the end of the day, see who was actually talking to them, who, who was, uh, who was there, uh, you know, listening to their issues and who was there, um, you know, making sure that they, they, they were interacting and, um, talking about what, what they're going to bring for them to city hall. So, um, you know, like you, I'm, I'm here with the people, you know, I'm here, um, you know, against the establishment and, um, you know, I think we can do this. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see why not. Um, the people are tired. I know people are tired of the same BS, the same stuff. It doesn't bring them any change. Um, you know, people are still like facing food insecurity. It's not an issue that, that just happened now. People are still facing, uh, you know, uh, you know, facing difficulty to pay rent. It wasn't something that happened now. It, all the issues that we're seeing because of the pandemic with healthcare, education, with housing, uh, with criminal justice, like that didn't happen now. That, that was, that, that existed. It all existed already. All the pandemic did was just, you know, make them explode because, it, it, you know, everyone faced the same difficulties. People lost their jobs and everything. And, and that's it, but it was, it was already all happening. And that just means that the politicians were already failing people. These people that are already supporting these other establishment folks were already failing the community. So people are tired of that and they wanna see that change. And I think that, um, you know, I can be that change for district seven and um, we, we've, we've gotten like positive responses from everyone in the district. There's not one person who says, no, Maria, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you or I'm against everything you're doing. No, they're, they're like open to it because we bring that change for people. So for those of you who are just tuning in, I'm used to this from my radio days, my live radio days. Uh, this is Arthur Schwartz and uh, Pursuing Justice. And we're talking uh, uh, to Maria Ordonez, who is a candidate in City Council District 7, which stretches from around... What street? 96th Street? To 96 to 165. 96 to 165th. So that that's a that's that's a very diverse district. And I'm running in one too, you know. Um, when you um, when you tend to be involved in, in hyper local things, you think of your district as being like where you live, right? Um, and then but then these districts, city council districts span different communities with different nationalities and different classes and different characters. So what, what's, what, like I have, my, my district starts at Canal Street and it goes through Soho and then it goes up to Greenwich Village and then it goes through Chelsea and then it goes through what used to be called the Garment District. There's no more garments left there except a couple of stores on the street. And then it goes to Hell's Kitchen and then it goes up to Columbus Circle. And they're all very different neighborhoods, uh, extremely different neighborhoods. It's, and and the, what impacts one uh, doesn't necessarily impact the other. What are the communities that your district is made out of? What's the same, what's different? Yeah, so um, I like to break up the district in three parts. So we have Washington Heights, which is the northernmost part of the district, West Harlem, where I'm, I'm, I'm at, um, the, like the, the part in the middle of the district, the heart of the district, and up the Upper West Side, the, the most Southern part of the district. 
there is a huge difference in, um, you know, class background in like average income from both sides, uh, north to south. When you go more north, you have a greater population of lower income people. And when you go south, you have a greater population of people who are high middle class, wealthier people. So it's very diverse. Um, it's, it's very diverse, like you said. Um, you know, you have a mix of, you know, of Latino, Black, White, and West Harlem, and you have the, a wider population in the Upper West Side, and then you have a more Latino uh, population in Washington Heights. The, 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 the issues are, I like to say that the issues are similar in, in a lot of ways, but they're in, they impact the communities in different ways. So in terms of housing, you know, we want to make sure we preserve public housing in all areas of the district. There is public housing in the Upper West Side of the district. So we need to make sure we're fully funding public housing, we're, we're making the necessary changes, and we're passing a Green New Deal for public housing. Uh, at the same time, we need to make sure that we're uh, supporting, um, you know, co-ops, we're supporting, uh, you know, people who, who are in HGFCs and co-ops, and um, eliminate the lien tax sales and, and make sure that people can be homeowners and own their houses without having to go into foreclosure or you know lose their home. So that impacts every single corner of the district. So everyone experience, is experiencing those same issues. And then with affordability, the same thing. The, the problem is making sure that it's affordable for the person in that area. Um, and, and the problem with area median income is that, you know, it doesn't really measure affordability in a holistic way for people in those communities. So I like to say that all these issues impact everyone in different ways, but they impact the community. Um, and same thing with like education. We need to make sure that education is equitable in all areas of the, of the community. And that's one of the things that I support is making a PTA fund where we, we bring all PTA funding into school districts and we distribute them in, in equal ways to the schools in that district. Um, I, I know in Columbia Secondary School that they were really good with uh, fundraising money from parents. So they had a lot of funding in their in their uh, PTA, um, you know, funding and, and money. And so they were able to have like nice events and everything. But if you look at other schools like in Washington Heights, parents are more working class. So they're, they're not going to be as willing to give a thousand dollars or, uh, you know, they may give five dollars or ten dollars. But, you know, it, it makes a difference in, in a child's uh, curriculum and education. Yeah, so that that's the way I see it. But ultimately, I'd say like issues impact people in in different ways, but they still impact the district. Your um, how are you building? When you talked earlier about contact, constituent contact, what what does that meant during the pandemic? What is it? What is your team doing to, and what are you doing to have constituent contact when you really? I mean, other than I know you live in a big building or your parents live in a big building, so you can maybe knock on doors if they answer the door. Um, they think it's a package being delivered. Um, <laughs> everybody answers the door these days because they think it's FedEx or UPS, right? But what does it meant? What does it meant to have constituent contact during a pandemic? It's very interesting, you know? Um, in the beginning, we were thinking about like, can we actually go knock on doors? Yes, but being careful. But it, of course, phone banking, of course, reaching out to people that we already know. But one of the things that we found really, um, you know, really nice way to reach people 
is, you know, going to NYCHA's and door hanging. So that's one of the things that, that um, we were doing as a campaign team, going to different NYCHA's and, and putting like door hangers that have my name and my face. And, you know, also being at the lobby and talking to people, we find a lot of times that no other campaign is doing that. No other campaign in, in the district is going to NYCHA's and, and talking to people. Um, and those, those communities, the, the people who live in NYCHA are the most disadvantaged, are the ones that have been most impacted by the pandemic. And the fact that we continue to ignore them is the biggest issue. That's the biggest issue um, in, in politics, that we continue to ignore and leave people out of the conversation. So, uh, you know, we, we've been door hanging and we've been talking to people in that, in that way. And we've also been outside, you know, tabling, even though it's cold, but, you know, for a couple hours and handing out flyers you know, in high traffic areas and making sure that, you know, we still have a little bit of interaction. We're not shaking hands, but we are giving an elbow or, you know, we, we are, you know, saying hi and bye and, and, and talking to people. Um, but that that in-person to person interaction will, will never change. It, it, there's something priceless about it. And it, it really makes a difference. There's something about, you know, a, a phone call, you know, people will forget, but then when they see you in the streets, so they'll remember. And and what is the response been to the fact that you're so young looking? And young. <laughs> I'm so young looking. <laughs> so um do I have a flyer with me? I actually do. Uh, <laughs> people never ask anything. They never ask about the age. It, they, they just take the flyer. You know, it it it, it doesn't matter to people. Uh, and someone once told me, are you a lawyer? <laughs> and I said, no, <laughs> I was just an organizer. I'm an activist from this community. I'm, I'm running to represent you. And they were like, wow, yeah, I, I thought you were a lawyer. Um, but uh, it doesn't matter, you know? And I think the two biggest examples of, of why age does not matter and it's what you're gonna bring for people to the table and what you're gonna bring for people is, um, I ran for county committee when I was 18. I ran in this big building. It's not like what? Uh, it, it didn't go for Bernie. So it was, I won. Yeah, I won. So it, it's a district that did not go for Bernie. So it's not like uh, progressive. It, it was like, so you ran uh, for county committee. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So it, I ran it in like this big building and um, it did not go for Bernie. It, 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 it always gone for like the most conservative choice of elections, like Cuomo or for. Um, you know, Hillary. So I still won. It, so it didn't matter. Age did not matter. What mattered was that people could relate to me, they can relate to my experiences, and they vote for that person. Also, Maria helps a lot. <laughs> uh, and then for, for delegate, for presidential delegate for, for Bernie, I got over 22,000 votes, and I won that too. So, you know, I knew that's a bigger election, and I wasn't actively, like, uh, campaigning for that, but the, 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 the power of the name, it has power. Um, people, who, I, knew, I know people who like live in, in Congressional District 13 and they, they still voted because they know me, but age did not matter. And the same goes for city council. Like I am young looking, but it, it doesn't matter, you know, because people know that I understand what they've lived through, what they're going through. And when, when I talk to people, they, they feel like a, it's like a comfortable conversation. It's like they're talking to family because I understand what, what they're going through and I, and I can relate and I can communicate with them. Because the most important thing is making sure that people feel comfortable in their language. I, I can talk to them in Spanish. So 
you know, that interaction, it, it's, um, I think it's really important making that good first impression. Um, and, and we're fighting for things that, that matter to them, like just basic things. And, you know, people don't ask about the age. So it, it, it's really, it's interesting. <laughs> so I decided to run, I, I, I didn't make, you, you made your decision a lot long, lot earlier than I did. Um, I, I didn't decide to run till around to July of last year. Um, you know, I played with it for years, but, but I wasn't, um, um, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it in part because my district had been redistricted, redistricted in the early 19, in the late eighties as a gay district. And the first three city council people elected after that, uh, were gay or lesbian. Um, and I knew that my principal opponent was going to be a, a gay man who was the chief of staff of a gay city council member. And um, so, the, and it, you know, it, it, it I'm, some of, I'm someone, I'm sure you are too, is very sensitive to gay uh, LGBTQ is, issues. And, and I, I did look at the city council back in 1990 when the, we had the first election there. I think when I first, uh, the first election I, I'm aware of, that was the only gay member that got elected. In the last, in the last city council, there were seven or eight gay lesbian uh, people. There's a lot of gay and lesbian candidates running all over the city, um, some of whom are, you know, um, sure to win. Like, uh, I hate to say sure to win, but Tiffany Caban, I can't see her losing in, in Astoria. But I still wasn't sure I wanted to run. And then the city council did its vote on the budget. And there had been weeks of demonstrations outside of uh, Occupy City Hall uh, about about the police, and we were in this enormous upheaval, which unfortunately has uh, uh, subsided. You know, I could have predicted it, but you know, it subsided. But at that point, it hadn't subsided. People were marching every day. You know, in from the end of May through here, it was just a month later, and then the city council blew it. They, they moved like, maybe they moved seven or $800,000 from the police department budget. Um, but all they did was take the school, school police out of the, out of the NYPD budget and put it in the department of education budget. And they took, they tried to put, by the way, they tried to put the traffic agents in the NYP, uh, in the department of transportation budget. And I helped a bunch of them organize to saying no way we need those uniforms we're standing out there in the middle of traffic we're giving out tickets it really helps us a lot to have the uniform they they're, they're really civilian employees but um and then they you know they they fudged some other numbers they said they weren't gonna they weren't gonna have a new class coming in but it was mostly bs right and i was pissed i was really pissed and that was what pushed me over because my opponent what the the city council the city council speaker at the time basically negotiated that deal, which was a not much of a deal. So I decided to run. What, what, now you, I live in mostly, my district is not mostly, like the part of the district I live in, my community board, 94% white, 94% white, 4% Chinese, Asian American, mostly Chinese American. So 2% black and Hispanic, that's south of 14th street in my district. North is a little more, because there's a couple of NYCHA developments probably if you cut out the nitrogen developments, it's still over 90% white, but your district isn't like that. So what impact has the police situation? What's your answer to the 
you know, the NYPD problem that we have here in New York? Yeah, so my district is over 75% of color. Um, so two thirds of the district is of color. And then you have populations uh, of color in the Upper West Side too, because we have a huge NYCHA complex there. We have the Frederick Douglass complex. It's the biggest one in the district, massive 20 buildings. Um, but uh, I, I believe that we need to defund the NYPD by 1 billion. We need at least 1 billion and we need to bring those funds into our community. And the reason I'm for that is because the, the police criminalizes people for the color of their skin. And, you know, it's been obvious uh, in, in this community, I, I'm born and raised here and I've seen um, how the police has treated uh, people like my family members, people that are my friends, my neighbors. Um, you know, they get stopped because they don't speak English or they get stopped because uh, of the color of their skin. Um, you know, people who have darker skin are more likely to get stopped by the police and are more likely to then face a fine or to then be arrested. That needs to end. So we need to end the criminalization of people for the color of their skin, the criminalization of people because of their immigration status. And we need to take police out of schools. Uh, one, one of the, the biggest problems with public schools is that sometimes you have metal detectors, you have police in there. That needs to end because students do not need to go to school where they feel unsafe they, they, or they start to feel anxiety or stress. That just, just influences the school to prison pipeline. It, that, that influences the statistics and you know, continues the, the cycle of poverty where students then don't go to college or students then go work at, at uh, low wage jobs and don't, or don't get a job and um, you know, uh, feel, uh, fall into addictions and stuff like that. We need to change that. We need to make schools places where students can go and feel comfortable and think about education not think about being stopped by the police, not think about going through a metal detector where, you know, who knows what can happen. So I, as someone who's, who's grown up here and as, as a woman of color, I, I believe that, you know, we need to take that money and bring it to our communities. And we're gonna, we're, where we will put that money, we need to put that money into mental health uh, centers, community centers. We need to support our public schools. We need to support people who live in NYCHA and we need to support our community by supporting them through, uh, through like food distributions, mutual aid networks, uh, uh, you know, and support the people who are facing food insecurity. You know, one billion is not a lot when, when you look at the, the grand scope of a budget, um, but it can influence certain programs. It can support certain programs and it can help us with CUNY. It can help us with food and in small ways, but it can make a difference because right now there's too much money in, in the police or, there's too much influence in them, there's too much power, and we need to cut that down, you know? We need to stop that. And, you know, one of the interesting things in, in my district is that, you know, defund is something that you, you probably see on Twitter, you know, you probably see on social media. But the, I think the important part about having those conversations with people and having those conversations outside with voters is, you know, talking about what that actually means. There's an education aspect about this, you know? Uh, Someone who doesn't live in the district, doesn't understand the district, is going to come and say defund, but they're not going to be able to make sure that the voters understand what they're saying. Um, as, as someone who like lives in the district, I can communicate that with the voters. Um, because one of the biggest problems in, in communities of color is that safety. And 
one of the, 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 the biggest issues here is how to communicate that safety when you're taking money out of the police. You know, how do, how do you communicate that with people? Um, so, you know, we, we, have these, we have these conversations with people in the streets. And what we say is that, you know, we're, we're going to ensure you're safe in your, at your home, but we're going to make sure that funding is also coming to your community. And we are going to ensure safety by making sure you have an education, by making sure you have a dignified place to live, we have a house, by making sure you have access to healthcare that you have education, that you have these basic resources that will keep you safe and allow you to thrive at your community. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, people who live by, in generations in, in, in districts like District 7, they're going to think about safety, but others don't. But, we, you know, as someone from the community, I can communicate that and, you know, make, make sure that, you know, we're, we're still having these conversations, but they know that we, we, we need to cut down the money. For the and how important is that to your campaign? That, that that issue. I think it's. I you know it's. I think it's it's really important. I think it's uh, um, one of the the, the the central one of the main focuses of the campaign, because you know after the pandemic, one of the problems that we've seen is that we need to find revenue for the city. That's one way we can find revenue because uh, you know people lost jobs, people are facing food insecurity, people can't pay for rent or you know student loans, all of this stuff. Like, you know. It, it, bringing money from the police into our communities, that's one way to bring revenue into the city. There's one way to bring revenue to our communities. Um, so it, it, it's, it's really important for me. Yeah, it's really, it, because it, it's one of the ways we're, we're gonna be able to fund and continue to fund the, these programs. One of the issues that I've spent a lot of time on over the last, um, uh, has to do with hospitals. In, in our part of Manhattan, uh, we had two hospitals two major hospitals. Uh, actually, we had three major hospitals in, in the area in part of Manhattan, say below um, 30th Street. Uh, literally from east to west, there was two, three hospitals. And two of them have closed in, since 2010. Um, St. Vincent's Hospital closed. Uh, and, uh, and there was a, a Cabrini Hospital closed. And what we have left was Beth Israel. And a couple of years ago, Beth Israel announced that it was going to quote, downsize. They were going to downsize from 800 beds to 70. That's pretty downsized. And they weren't going to do labor and delivery. They weren't going to do heart surgery. They weren't going to do, you know, you know, I don't know what, what you can fit when you do 70 beds. And they continued through this year saying they were going to do that. Well, they still had 250 beds occupied just in their general surgery unit, partly because of the pandemic and partly because NIPAN, like my chapter of NIPAN, the Progressive Action of Lower Manhattan. That was our major campaign for our first four years of existence was to stop the closure of Beth Israel. We seem to have succeeded, right? But it's a it's a critical issue to have, you know, a hospital with an emergency room available for people to go to 24 seven uh, and not have to go to urgent care or not have to go to 34th and First Avenue or 30th where Bellevue is. How important is healthcare in your neighborhood and, and in your in the district you're running and what and what are the issues up there? Yeah, so um, in, in my district there's high rates of asthma. Um, so making sure that people and people of color have access to that is important. Um, we have one hospital in, in the district. Uh, it's the one by Columbia and I, I think I'm forgetting the name. Um, 
Mount Luke. Sinai. It, be yeah. called Saint Luke's. it. It was called St. Luke's. Now it's called yeah. Mount yeah. Sinai West or something. Yeah. It's like right in front of Columbia and everything. Uh, and we have Columbia Presbyterian, but, but it's like right outside the district, but it's like it's borderline. By the way, I have that's, to say, that's not, I hope you know, that's never, not enough for one district. I hope you've never been in in Columbia Presbyterian emergency room. Um, my mother lives, my mother's just, she lives just south of your district. She lives on 86th and Riverside mm -hmm. and she's 98 and 10 twelfths old. And um, she had a gallbladder something two years ago and she insisted on going to Columbia Presbyterian. She insisted the ambulance take her there. And um, because that my father was a physician there. So she knew Columbia Presbyterian, she trusted it, blah, blah, blah. We went in the emergency room. It was like Grand Central Station in the middle of rush hour. And this was at 10 o'clock at night. And they basically put her on a table that on wheels, you know, on a mattress about an inch thick and shoved her off into a corner. They gave her like Advil. She was having gallbladder issues, right? And they said, um, they put her, gave her some antibiotics and she got there at 10 o'clock at night at three o'clock in the morning. She literally got off the table. My mother was then like 96 and walked to the nurse's station and said, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm in enormous amount of pain. And they told me I need surgery. Why am I not admitted to the hospital? Why am I still laying here on this table? Why does my son have to be sitting here, you know, at three o'clock in the morning worrying about me? And it, it was astounding. I, I could not believe how unbelievably overcrowded it was. So anyway, you were saying, so you have Columbia Presbyterian in the North and St. Luke's. I don't know what their emergency room is like, but I can't imagine it's much better. Uh, so go ahead. I, yeah. I, I tell that story. Uh, I I, I've been to the, I've been to the Columbia Presbyterian emergency um, room when I sprained my ankle, went and I, I, I couldn't walk so I needed to get crutches and it was, it was really packed. And I think that's more mental health centers. We need to um, ensure that they, they have the resources necessary um, and these hospitals have the resources necessary and that we have, um, a smaller ratio of, of staff and nurses to patients. And at the same time, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be important to have an analysis of the, the diseases, the, you know, the, the, the situations that people are facing health-wise in, in the district. So have a deep analysis and you request that from hospitals and make sure that those are public to people so that through that, we can better serve these hospitals. Through that, we can better serve the district. Um, and, uh, you know, at this point, um, not sure if that information is like public or we're having that information, you know, and we do that information, we do that analysis based on, you know, uh, the Latino population or the black population, the LGBTQ population and like do a deep analysis and then determine how we can better fund these programs based on what issues and what health issues are they're uh, facing the most. Um, and like you said, you know, we, we, we need to make sure that there, there are more, um, you know, nurses, more doctors, Per people, uh, because it's it's incredible that the the waiting rooms are packed, and it's just not the case in just in, in hospitals, but also medical centers are extremely packed. Or like city MDs, like the line goes all the way to the end. 
Um, it, it, it's so long that I can go there with my literature and start canvassing all of them <laughs> while they're waiting in line to get I the COVID test. Right, so, people waiting for tests, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 it's more idea, you know? So that's a problem. We, we need to make sure that we, we have uh, more spaces for testing, more spaces for vaccinations, more space for people to treat their, you know, the, their health concerns and make sure that there are smaller ratios of staff to people and that we, we have an analysis of like, uh, you know, what's going on in districts so we can address those concerns. So I think, uh, I think I'm, I'm, I've hit, we've almost hit the end. So can you just tell people, how do they get in touch with your campaign? Absolutely. So it's been great talking to you, Arthur. Um, so if anyone's interested in my campaign and wants to learn more, you can uh, find more about me and reach and find my social media at www.mariaordones.nyc. That is M-A-R-I-A-O-R-D-O-N-E-Z as in zoo.nyc. And my, all of my social media handles are at Maria Ordonez NYC. It's very easy to remember. Maria Ordonez NYC for everything. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to, you know, connect. I look forward to talking to many of you and to talking about my platform and what we can do to make this change happen for City Hall and build this movement for District 7. And, and, uh, and, and I know Jason, our... Uh, our engineer here would tell me to remind people that my website is www.arthur4fornyc.com and my Twitter handle is at advocate, A-D-V-O-C-A-T, the number four justice. And, uh, and, and I'm trying really hard to learn how to tweet and, uh, you know, be, have an impact. I, I know I've annoyed the Speaker of the City Council, because he was complaining about it the other day. I have to say, after talking to you for an hour, I even think you're more amazing than I thought you were before. So keep up the good work, and I'm sure we'll get to talk again soon. It's right. been great talking to you, Arthur. I, I look forward to getting the youngest woman into City Council, and then will you be the oldest council member? Uh, if Gail Brewer wins, I think she might be older than me. Okay, whatever it is, but we get the, the young the, the young and the old of NIPAD into the city council and we make that change happen. Okay. All right. 